What's up, everyone? My name is Keaton. Welcome to the Man I Want to Be podcast. I am your host, and today, as promised, we are having an episode where I sit down with my father. I call him Pops. You can call him Pops as well. We sit down and we talk about creating a personal vision for the man that you want to become. It will be similar, like I said, to the last episode where I share the vision of the man that I want to be. But this episode, I have a conversation with dad a lot about the philosophy behind having a vision, why you need a vision, why I need a vision, and why we why we need what I call a personal constitution to help you fulfill that vision. It's a really good podcast. I hope you enjoy the material. If you do, like and subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a five-star review. And without further ado, let's jump in. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Man I Want to Be podcast. My name is Keaton. I'll be your host today. I'm here with Pops. Pops, how you doing? Wonderful. Wonderful. So good. Last time we were in, when we were pretending to be a podcast or two podcasters, Tim Bryn, we were in our my soon-to-be baby's room, and now we're in an actual room with the same microphone, but we have some sound panels. So we're getting closer to legit, but probably not much closer. Pops. Yes. What's happening in your world? You just finished a 104-mile bike ride on your – I did. Like a month after your 63rd birthday. I did. How was it? It was wonderful. Uh Um, Hard. Very hard. There were parts of it that were above 13% grade, so that is – Steep. Steep. You know, <laughs> I made it all the way down to like 3.5 miles an hour as I'm just uh, trying to get up those hills. Yeah. And I had a state trooper right behind me making sure that I made it. And I did. <laughs> yeah. And I took two and a half hours off my time. I was not the last finisher like I was three years ago. Amazing. So, oh, that's a great story. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you know, and like I, I mentioned in one of my text to the family it was you lose 21 pounds it makes life a whole lot easier huge difference yep i've never ridden 104 miles i don't think i've ridden 104 miles total in my life i'm sure you have yeah when you were sneaking out yeah i wasn't riding my bike anywhere yeah you you took colin's bike a few times i found it out in the yard colin's bike yeah maybe that was paul that wasn't me (laughs) that wasn't me (laughs) Uh, we did spend last time on our podcast talking all about dad. And then I realized I didn't even introduce myself. So I will take a brief moment to introduce myself. I'm way less fascinating, much younger, much younger. I turned 30 in about a month. I am married to a woman named Chelsea. She's amazing and perfect and beautiful. And she is about to have our first child. She's two weeks left of pregnancy, which means she's really uncomfortable all the time. We got married, and three months later, we found out we were pregnant, so we didn't do much family planning or anything like that. It just sort of happened, and I couldn't be more excited about our little girl arriving in two weeks. Let's see. What else do people need to know about me? I work for a church. Mm-hmm. I went to college the first time in 2010, went to a private school in Abilene, Texas. What? I don't think it was the first time. I think it's the only time. And it's just stretched into well, almost twelve I, yeah. years. It has. <laughs> I, I did three years. Ended up dropping out. Haven't been able to finish that fourth year. I've tried many times. Had some really unfortunate 
had one unfortunate semester at one school. And then I don't even know. That's a whole other thing. Yeah. I'm going to get it finished this year, but it's happening. Oldest of three boys, Colin and Dylan, you'll hear us talk about them. Colin's the smartest person I've ever met. Dylan gets promoted everywhere he goes. Yep. They're just wonderful. He's also the tallest in the family, and we're a bunch of midgets. Half an inch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's, he's the tallest. So that's a little bit about me. I turned 30, become a father, and celebrate one year of marriage all within about 30 days mm-hmm. of each other. And I, I couldn't be more excited. Which, that month, the, now that happening is kind of how I got the idea of, like, man, what kind of man do I want to be? Well, it had been happening been thinking about it for about five six years actually at that point since you'd initially asked me but milestone three milestones all happening within 30 days makes you kind of think a little bit and that's how we got this podcast i'm sure you'll find out more about me as we go but we'll learn more about pops because he's the interesting one i told dylan mm-hmm. we'd have him on and he's like yeah that'd be great and i was like <laughs> shut up dylan just getting promoted all the time so today, Pop, we talked about who you are last time, and today I want to talk about vision and why vision okay. is, in, is, in, is important. You used the word direction. Right. And the first time you had talked to me about direction or vision, I remember two times distinctly. One, I think I was 23 or 24, and I was like, I'm just ready to be married. And you responded, son, you can't get married right now. You don't have any direction. And I was like, <laughs> thanks, Pops. But I dressed cool. Yes, you, you did dress cool. I dressed cool. Yep. And then the other time we were doing, I don't remember what that, that video study was on manhood. Do you remember what? We were watching those videos. Oh, from Family Life Today. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we were watching. Yes. Had, you had asked me, you said two things during that that were just amazing. You asked me, son, what kind of man do you want to be? Mm-hmm. And I didn't have an answer because I didn't know. And it took a little bit to come up with an answer, but now I, I, I have one. And before we get to that, do you want to speak to the importance of direction or vision? Um, sure. I think it is essential to for a man to have a direction in life as to, you know, not only what is he going to do for a living, you mm-hmm. know, be it in a trade or, you know, have a degree and then go on into the corporate world or do something like that. Or, and so you have that that direction, but it's more important to know what kind of a person you want to be mm-hmm. and how you want to present that person to the world around you. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, we are designed by God to be interdependent on people. Mm-hmm. And... So there are no islands. Mm-hmm. And if you are a person of character, if you're a person a person of, of vision, you know what's, you, where, where you want to go, it's much easier for people to take you mm-hmm. serious mm-hmm. and to enjoy being around you. I mean, a mm-hmm. lot of folks like being around 16-year-old boys playing video games. But if you're 30 and still playing video games in your mom's basement, that's a problem. <laughs> It's not cool anymore. It is not cool no. anymore. And, you know, my prayer for you boys was always that you would take the lessons that your mom and I tried to teach you mm-hmm. <clears throat> and you would expand those mm-hmm. and you would do greater things in the kingdom mm-hmm. 
than than we were certainly doing. And I, mm-hmm. and I believe, you know, your mom and I did have done a lot of incredible things. You know, mm-hmm. not only two years of Whetstone, but you know, our work at Lakewood Church of Christ, and for all the mm-hmm. years we were there, mm-hmm. have been there. But to we we, I felt my role in in your life was to give you teach you how to use tools. Mm-hmm. Not give you the tools, but mm-hmm. teach you how to use the tools that you needed to acquire for whatever it is you're going to do. Because mm-hmm. your your world, your culture is so different from mine, mm-hmm. and you have to embrace that culture to a point where you're affecting it mm-hmm. in a positive way, and that you have become you are a good man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not a perfect man, mm. not a guiltless man, yeah. but a good man who serves first his God, mm-hmm. second his wife, third his children, mm-hmm. then the other things, including yeah. ministry at church. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And one of the great things about direction or vision, as I like to mm-hmm. use, it's it's not like a goal. You don't like arrive because right. then it would be over. Mm-hmm. It's where you're headed for the rest of your life. You know, if you were to ask me, all right, what kind of man do you want to be? When I was 24, I didn't have an answer. At 29, almost 30, I have an answer. I want to be, it's taken from a verse in First Samuel chapter 16. It's when David is first described. We talked a little bit about it last time. Mm-hmm. And that's that's like my life vision. I want to be skillful in what I do. I want to be like excellent in my craft. I want to be uh, a man of valor, a man of war, a man uh, of good presence, prudent in speech and the Lord is with him. Like when I think about my life, like that is what I'm striving for. I want to be a man who's good at what he does, whatever it is, works hard and tries to be excellent in what he's doing. A man of valor, courage, Uh, a man of war, meaning like you go to battle for the right things, for the people you love, you're prepared. Man of good presence, people like being around you. That's important. They feel safe. They also just enjoy your presence. You're, you think about what you say instead of just letting it come out ahead of time, which probably means more often than not being quiet. You know, what's that proverb? <laughs> when you talk too much, sin abounds. You just... Yeah, or or one, um, better to think, better to be quiet and let people think you're intelligent and open your mouth and remove all doubt. Yeah, yeah, you're right. <laughs> So that's that's the vision. So on, on your first one, though, what was mm-hmm. your first? What was that first one? Oh, to be excellent, excellent. And, yep. So there's another proverb that I love. Um, I used to teach when I would guest speak at a small business class. Mm-hmm. There's a great, great proverb. Do you see a man skilled in his craft? Mm. He will serve before kings. Mm. Yes. And so there's that striving to be excellent in whatever mm-hmm. whatever your calling is, yeah. whatever direction you are going. Yeah. I love that proverb. I used to have it written on my desk. He will not stand before obscure men. He will stand before kings. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good one. So vision has no end. Every day is a good day to be a good man, to be a man of good presence, to be a man who's prudent in his speech, to be a man of valor. Every single day. These are like, that's the power of vision. Now, I think people inherently know vision is important. Mm Mm-hmm. They know they should have some sort of vision or direction for their life, especially regarding 
who they want to be, not just what they want to do. That's pretty easy. Yeah, that's you can easy. you can kind of map that out. Who well, you want to be that can change. Yeah, and it can change. Yeah. It, it probably will change yes. frequently, especially <clears throat> as you get married, you have kids, mm-hmm. you move states, cities, you know, or you just you lose your job. It could change. Who you are, hopefully, you're growing in the same direction to some degree, you know, with little variants. But I think people do know it's important to have a vision or direction for who they want to become. They may acknowledge it with their mouth but not really believe it in their heart. And so I would like to kind of talk about this. Another proverb. We love the book of Proverbs in the Tucker family. Yes, we do. By the way. You don't even have to be a Christian to appreciate it. It's got gold in it, and you probably won't find a better source of short wisdom, at least that as far as I know, for everyday life. But there's this proverb about vision, and I kind of want to talk about it so you to help us all understand why having a vision for your life is important. And what you probably need to know before we jump into this proverb is when I'm like super into something, I'm like all the way in. I don't really do things halfway. Actually, I do it like three times the way. Like when I played baseball, I'd, hit, I'd swing the bat like a thousand times out back, probably because you told me to. <laughs> I'd hit baseballs all day. I was like, I'd rather hit five home runs in a game than, than <clears> not. <throat> so when I do something like this, I go above and over the top. My right. wife makes fun of me for this thing I call my personal constitution. She thinks it's hilarious. She's like, I don't know anybody who's put this much effort into becoming or who they want to be. And she like makes fun of me for it. But so I have this person. She loves you for it. She does love me for it. Yeah. Yeah. I hope <laughs> she does. She does. So I've got a, what I call, it's called my personal constitution. It has a beginning statement, which is my, the vision of the man I want to be. And then it has what I would call either rules or laws for my life. And we're going to talk about that, but here's this proverb from Proverbs 29 using the ESV, where there is no vision, the people cast off restraint, but blessed is he who keeps the law. And then in the NIV, it says, where there is no prophetic vision, the people perish, but blessed is he who keeps the law. And I, as I, I've thought about this proverb a lot, and I'm like, okay, there's vision, there's restraint, cast off restraint, there's law, what on earth? do all these three things have to do with each other? And I think they're really tightly wound and it speaks yes. powerfully to human nature. Mm-hmm. So a couple, I want, I want to hear your thoughts, but I just want to share a few of mine just off the get go. Go for it. Okay. Now let's go and let's, let's work backwards. Law by nature is restraint. It's what you cannot do. Speed limit. You're supposed to go. Does that mean like 45? Or it's what you can do. Or it's what you can do. Yes, but it's naturally supposed to be a restraint. It's supposed to offer boundaries. It's supposed to keep civil things going. It's good to have, and then for your personal life, it gives you boundaries of what you will and will not do, how you're going to behave, and they're kind of like your boundaries. They're your guardrails. They're your babysitter, like Paul says the law is in Galatians. It's your guardian. Okay, when there's... No prophetic vision. When there's no vision, people cast off restraint. So the first thing that people do is they cast off the law. They cast off the rules for their life. And the way I had read it is when people don't understand what the purpose of the rules are, or if they don't have a vision for where they're going, the law seems like it's oppressive, purposeless, and I want to just get rid of it. Just get it off. So it's also human nature to cast off restraint. And so when I read this, what I hear is you need vision so that you don't perish. 
like in the NIV. So you have direction. You need a personal law or rules for conduct so that you don't wander from the vision that you set and you're not just aimlessly wandering around. Knowing that without vision or without a personal law or a personal code of conduct or whatever you want to call it, you're going to probably cast off all restraint and end up in places that you don't want to be, which is why it's cool to drink with your college buddies a lot when you're 21. And then when you're 35, it's less cool. And then when you're 50, it's really sad. You're doing the exact same thing, following probably not a set vision, but a sort of vision, but you ended up in a very, very different place and you had no boundaries. Right. If that example makes sense. So that was 30,000 feet, kind of what I'm thinking about that. And we can get a little nuance, but what are, what are your thoughts? So as you were talking about that, I'm, I'm envisioning your mom with her uh, financial coaching that she does. Yeah. And she encourages everybody and we encourage everybody and we do this as well as to to develop a budget. Mm-hmm. And when you think of a budget, yeah, you think, oh, slavery. Mm. Gotta follow the budget. Mm-hmm. But if you have a vision for how you want to spend, say you make $5,000, mm-hmm. you bring home $5,000 a month and you want you need to pay all your bills and, and live and stuff. Mm-hmm. So you develop a vision for that money and you give mm-hmm. every dollar a name. Mm-hmm. You, it can be any name you want. It to, if you want to spend $4,000 on going out to eat, that's fine if you can still pay the rent. Right. So, so, but, you know, so you can dream about it. You can and do this as a couple, mm-hmm. you have vision, dream together. But once it's on paper, then the paper becomes your law. Yep. And it's going to hold you accountable. Right. So that when you, when you hit $4,000 for going out to eat, you got to quit. And that may hurt if it's only the fifth of the month and you still have <laughs> luxurious or 26 days, yeah. you know, to, to eat. So that is that. But by having the budget and seeing where all your money is going, mm. that gives you freedom mm-hmm. to experience what that yep. budget does for you. Yep. Your dream, your vision, your direction mm. of what you want your money to do. Yep. And as you discipline yourself Hmm. you know your mom has seen a lot of people who you know after a month they just throw the budget away and say i'm going to go spend everything i want to yeah and so they're back in that same boat and they're screaming i have no i don't make enough money Mm -hmm. your mom would say you are insulting god Mm. by saying that what he has blessed you with is not enough Mm. And really, it's your own it's lack your of self-control. Own lack of self-control, lack mm. of vision, lack of direction, and lack of willing to stick to what you and your spouse or even yeah. you and your accountability partner have decided yeah. on. Yeah. So where there is no vision, where there is no budget, where there is no direction. You find yourself perishing. You find, some, you, some you find yourself still sitting on the couch no. in your mom's basement playing video games you find, when yeah. you're 50. When you're 50. <laughs> Which is I. Paradoxical, because you'd think the less restraint there is, the more freedom you have. But time and time again, it's shown through pick your thing. The more freedom you have Mm -hmm. to do whatever you want, the more you end up enslaved to something. Yes. Drink as much as you want, you end up a slave to alcohol. Spend as much as you want, you end up enslaved to debt. You know, you've 
boundaries actually bring more freedom. The, yes, they do. Do you know who Jocko Willink is, the Navy SEAL? He wrote I've that book, Extreme Ownership. Yeah. Really great leadership book. He has this his final chapter. It's the best chapter in the whole book is discipline equals freedom. That's how he would say mm-hmm. discipline equals freedom, the dichotomy of leadership. And his, the whole chapter is about how discipline is what leads to more freedom, mm-hmm. not the opposite way around. Right. And so instead of law, code of conduct, whatever, he would say discipline. They're all, we're all talking about the same thing. We're talking about self-control, restraint, boundaries for yourself so that you can fulfill the vision of who you want to be. We had come up, I'd come up with a couple examples from the Old Testament and then using the good old U.S. of A constitution to help kind of make sense. Which one made most sense? When you read through what I'd written, which one made the most sense? Actually, for me, the Old Testament. The Old Testament. All right, we'll go with it. <laughs> we'll go with it. So the people of Israel, they come out of Egypt. Mm-hmm. First thing, they go to Mount Sinai. Mm-hmm. And the first thing they're given is a vision of who they're going to be. They're, and it's called a royal priesthood a people for God's own possession, a holy nation so that other nations would look upon Israel and say, look how wise and understanding this people is. That was their vision. I want to be like them. Yes, that was the vision. Now, if you're a skeptic and cynical or just whatever, you could look at it like, no, they seem old. And like, well, 3,000, 3,500 years ago, whenever it was, that was pretty. their laws were pretty far ahead of their time. Yes. And you're talking about they'd just come out of a place where they just killed a bunch of babies. And so anyway, that's that's their vision of who they're going to be. And then God gives them the law to help, like, hey, leave some of the crop for the poor to go right. to go pick up for themselves. So you're helping the poor and you're keep while keeping them in a, with a sense of responsibility and dignity for their humanity. Mm-hmm. Uh, welcome the foreigner and the sojourner and treat them as one of your own. Uh you shall not do injustice to the poor or to the wealthy. You shall judge fairly with no partiality. They had like all these rules. You shall not boil a goat in its mother's milk. That's in there. Sorry, I, that's yeah, a funny that was, one. That's a funny one. Yeah. Dignity it's, of animals. They want, yeah. you know, for all our people who are like animal rights, you know. But so they had they had a vision. In order to fulfill that vision, they had a, a law. In the same way, so like today we're going to talk about vision, how to come up with one. But no, we're going to be talking about some rules for life, what you believe, guiding principles for your life. The What you believe is going to be huge. Mm-hmm. Your rules for life. What do you value? What do you give your time and energy to? What are your values? Those sorts of things. We'll be talking about that today. We're going to focus on vision because it's important. If you don't have vision and all you do is have rules, they don't make sense. You're going to cast them off. If you have vision without rules, you will aimlessly wander and not get anywhere. So, Pops, when you were young, did you have something like this, or am I just an insane person? Sort of. Which one? Um, (laughs) Which one? I sort of had, okay, I sort of had a vision. You know, once my family, again, I think I talked about this a little bit a couple weeks ago. You know, when my family blew up, I knew that I didn't want to follow in that model. Yep. And... You know, looking at um, looking at my family and saw how young they were, without a plan, without a vision, without a direction, mm-hmm. and really without any anything to direct them, mm-hmm. they wandered. They wandered into marriage, and then yep. they they wandered out of marriage. Mm-hmm. 
wandered in, wandered out, wandered in. And so that's why my family is such a mess. Mm-hmm. And I looked at that and I said, hmm, no. And then one night at church, I think I was a jun- junior? I think I was a junior in high school. Anyway, uh, we had a graduation ceremony for the seniors at, at, who were a year ahead of me. And the guy got up and spoke to them, and he mm-hmm. challenged them to find a direction. Mm-hmm. And that's when I came up with the idea for direction. Yeah, And I thought, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Because mm-hmm. I didn't, I had no plan for life, mm-hmm. um, I had, and I had no support for it. Mm-hmm. So I was going to aim or wander aimlessly. Yeah. And um, for whatever reason, God took me to Irving, Texas. That was my first desert experience. Mm-hmm. We'll talk a lot about deserts here. Yeah, well, yeah, deserts are deserts are amazing places to mm-hmm. be, and um, and I I read some books. I read a great book um, by Francis Schaeffer, The Church at the End of the Twentieth Century, and he challenged me to do things not for myself but for other people, and that's when mm-hmm. you know I really wanted to come up with a, that servant mentality that I tried to teach you boys with. Yeah. And so that was, you know, that was probably the impetus for for whatever vision or direction yeah. that we had. Yeah. And you at least had an idea. Had an idea. Yeah. You probably didn't put it to paper. Like, no. Because I'm, that's just how I am. Yeah. I need, like. I think about it. Yeah. Yeah. Which is good. You had said something that had sparked a thought and now it's gone. Mm. And I can't remember what it was. Oh, well. Oh, well. Oh, okay. No, what you said. So we talk about God a lot. And maybe you're listening and you're like, I don't believe in God. And you can listen. There's a lot of podcasts where like, you don't need to believe what we believe. You you know, you can be of a different religion. I'm going to like, okay, that's fine. But man to man through the microphone, you need God. I, I've tried life without God. I have too. And it's, it's the, the grass is not greener on the other side of the Mm-mm. fence. It is just not. And, like, gents, you're not that strong, and no. you're not that wise. No. You're not that powerful. <clears throat> you, like, and we're going to talk about God, but I'm just going to just be honest with you. And be like, you need God. God is real. Jesus is real. His Holy Spirit is real. You may have a problem with Christianity, but that's probably played out over history and how the church, but as if the church is the only hypocritical organization, institution, movement in the world. It's not. Everybody is a hypocrite to some degree. Yeah. God is real. He's constant. He's the well, same. And we're all are going to serve something. You are. Yeah. And so if you think about God, mm. you know, and we know that none of us are perfect. Mm-hmm. We all do something wrong. So think about it. This God that created everything around us also sent his son Jesus mm. to show us how to live and how mm. to live in relationship Mm. Not only with each other, but with God. Mm-hmm. How cool is that? It's amazing that we have a blueprint yeah. right there in Scripture of how to be a man. Mm. Yeah, given to us divinely. Yeah, you got to believe in God. Yeah, you gotta. Jesus, first person, say, "Don't retaliate when someone wrongs you." It takes a lot of courage not to bite back when somebody wrongs you. <sighs> Try it. I'd like, try it. See if you're man enough to not retaliate. 
Yeah. See if you're willing to let your ego die yeah. enough. So you men who are married, mm-hmm. if you want the last word in your relationship, the 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 answer to the question is yes, dear. <laughs> Whatever you say, just don't try to win. Yeah. Anyway, so I just wanted to throw that in there. You need God. He's real. Greatest man who's ever lived is Jesus, hands down. No doubt. His words are true. Maybe you have a problem with the whole sacrifice thing, forgiveness of sins, and you're like, what is that about? You can't have a relationship without forgiveness, period. And if you haven't offended anybody in your life where you needed forgiveness, you probably don't have any relationships at all. So it's a pretty that's a pretty self-evident necessary. The sacrificial system, different time in history. You don't have to understand it, but it worked. Okay, I'm off my hot horse. Let's let's go back to this this biblical vision. I want to talk through like why I chose this one. And I don't remember if you remember when I was in Abilene, I was re- you know, I had you know, finally been found by Jesus. And we were on the phone one day and I was reading through 1st and 2nd Samuel. I didn't I wasn't super familiar with the Bible at this point. Like I knew enough to like be dangerous but not really to be mm-hmm. sub- like submitted or follow it really have any application in my life but I was reading through first and second Samuel about this guy David and I, I don't know if you remember this but I was like I just want to be like David and I hadn't gotten to the I hadn't gotten to the Jesus chapters yet so I didn't really know the standard at that time but I was like David is awesome you know he kills giants he lives in caves he he brings together men who are weary in spirit is what it says he fights battles from caves he gets anointed king he's like just he is awesome Everything about him is awesome. He's a good he's good at poetry. He writes good songs. And but there's that verse in First Samuel sixteen, it's the second time that David is ever described. The first time he is young and ready. The second time this is how he's described, because this is how David was remembered with his wins, his failures, his I mean, he told a lie once where eighty people were eight hundred people, I believe, like a whole village was slaughtered. Everyone pretty much knows about Bathsheba among other things. There was a time where he tried to exact revenge. And then on, um, what's the guy? His name means fool. No, 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 not Saul. Uh, And then he marries Abigail, the guy's wife. And you're like, this is kind of a messed up story. Yeah. Abigail's the hero in that story. Yes, Abigail is the hero. What's his name? His name means fool. Yes. Doesn't matter. But anyway. It's fool. It's just fool. Yeah. Despite all that, this is how David was remembered. And I remember reading this. Again, after you had asked me the question, son, what kind of man you want to be? And I was like, I don't know. What kind of man? And I remember reading this and being like, I want to be like this. This is the kind of man I want to be. So this is how David was remembered. It says, behold, I have seen a son of Jesse who is skillful in playing. He's a man of valor, a man of war. He's prudent in speech, a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. And I was like, man, that is what I want to be. What is interesting to me and fascinating about this verse is where it falls in the Bible because Saul is looking for someone to play the harp for him because he has bad headaches. And this sounds like David's resume is a little overqualified for the role of playing the harp for a king who has headaches. And yet this is the description that he's getting and he goes willingly to do it. So there is also a level of humility that nothing was beneath David. Mm -hmm. He was willing to do whatever he was asked, which is another great quality trait. But when you ask me, what kind of man do you want to be? This is what I want to be. This is something about character. 
this is who I want to be. So if you want to copy mine, if you're like, man, what kind of man do I want to be? You want to copy this? I'm just copying it from David. So it's a few thousand years old. Great way to the, – the old things don't die. You look like you have something to say. Well, we all copy somebody. Yeah. You, you know, gotta. be it the bad guys or the mm-hmm. good guys. And David is a good guy. I mean, he's yeah. uh, he is a man after God's own heart in mm-hmm. that he he is a protector. Mm-hmm. Um, he is unafraid. He challenges evil. Mm-hmm. Um, and he – he is just a complete man. Yeah, he was. He had some faults. Mm-hmm. Um, he told Joe Joab, his general, go out and number the people. That was a huge deal. Ended up three days of slaughter mm-hmm. by the by the angel of God. Mm-hmm. You know, but but I, I love that scene because he God says enough, and the angel is actually at the wine press of mm-hmm. um, Aruna. I think his name is, mm-hmm. and. David goes and buys that property from this guy. Mm-hmm. He's willing to give it to him. And David yeah. says, I love this quote from David. He says, no, I will not sacrifice anything to God which costs me nothing. Mm. So good. David was also a, very, a man of sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And we as men have to learn to sacrifice. As, as Keaton said earlier, it's not about us. It is mm. about God and everything we do has to point people to who to where we get our strength mm-hmm. and where we get our vision, mm-hmm. and Amen. that is God. Amen. There are other men in history that are awesome that you could set as an example for the type of man you want to be. You could draw character traits. I'm, David is the one that I choose. I also love Theodore Roosevelt because of primarily his speeches. I have his speech book. I read them all the time, and they are amazing. The world needs men who love peace, but who love righteousness more than peace. I'm like, mm, that hits me right in my heart of hearts. Mm-hmm. So I kind of, I, I want to go through this a little bit and expound kind of what I pull out. Okay. When I, when I think about, all right, so it's like, all right, I'm going to be skillful at what I do, excellent at what I do, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech. That's easy to write out, but you have to, I, had, I realized, I've been working on this for a few years. I had to give it a lot of deep thought to really think about the implications. And from that actually came a fuller vision and then kind of my other stuff that I came up with. So the first one I want to go through is a man of good presence. That's one of the things I want to be a man of good presence. So people not only enjoy being around me, they feel safe, they feel seen, they feel protected, cared for, they feel important if you if you're like thinking, all right, how do I become a man of good presence? What do you, what's like the first thing that you're gonna do? I I believe in best practices. Yeah. Uh, you I mean the world is full of plagiarists. Let's just face it. Yeah. So you read through history, you know, and you look at okay. I want to be like him. You mm-hmm. know, like you want to be like David or Theodore yep. Roosevelt. You know, I like Josiah in the Bible. Mm. Um, I mean, became king at the age of eight. I mean, that's pretty cool. Um, or Abraham. <laughs> can you, you know, I can I, I can yeah. identify with Abraham because God God sent us to Southern Missouri. He sent Abraham to Canaan. Mm. Um, you know, and so. Don't be afraid to model your life after somebody who is following somebody like mm. God. Yeah. You know, 
you know, like Keith, you said a while ago, I follow I follow Jesus, you know, or I follow Paul because he follows Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and so we're all going to follow somebody mm-hmm. because that's just the way we are. We yeah. we, we live our lives again. It, it, back to that community thing. And so, we, you know, my friend Jack. Mm-hmm. Jack Young. Jack Young. One of the greatest um, men alive. Yes. He yeah. he earned the privilege of speaking into my life and telling me that I was being an idiot or a smart aleck or I was doing the right thing very mm-hmm. early in my life after my folks' divorce. I mean, mm-hmm. he, and, he and Nani really took me in. Mm-hmm. And so I just spent a lot of time studying him without – telling him that I was studying him. But yep. I saw how he treated Nani. Yep. I saw how he treated his three kids. Yeah. And and not only but how he interacted with other people. Mm-hmm. Um when we need a funeral done at Lakewood at our church, Jack used to be the guy that we called he's you know, he's now he's eighty four, so he's a little um He's not doing many funerals anymore. He's not doing many funerals yeah. anymore. Uh but he is still such an example and so much so wise about scripture and about things that a man does Mm. and you just can't help but just love Mm. every time he says something and he has this nice deep voice and sounds like the voice of god Mm -hmm. as the youth group would call him (laughs) and uh you know it's just he's such a delight to be around yeah um yeah well there's something about him you know like when you're talking to him he's listening and he cares yes and you do that well too. So I, I, I want to highlight this. You do that really well. You, when you talk to people, you can not even just like you and me talking, but when you're talking to somebody else at church, or at work, or wherever you are. Walking in today, the guy was cleaning the building. I've never met him, and you like made eye contact with him and waved at him. You've never met him. You were just like, oh, I'm just gonna wave at that guy. But you can tell when you're watching that you care about who you're talking to. One, you make a really good eye contact. It's sincere. You're, mm-hmm. Like you're not looking around the room, darting your eyes at who you're missing. And like that's like the thing. Mm-hmm. Next time you're in a conversation, notice, how, especially in a busy room, notice how often you break eye contact to look around the room. Right. All you're doing, you, you, you're probably, your attention's being caught by something, but the message you're sending to the person you're talking to is, I'm not really here. Yeah, you're not important. No, and it's a really unintentional thing, but if you're conscious of it, like, all right, whoever I'm talking to, this is going to be who I'm talking to. One thing I've been doing recently that you couldn't do for a year, now I'm just like, it's fine. It's shaking hands. The good old-fashioned handshake. Look them in the eye, shake their hand, repeat their name. As I've been doing that more often, and I've noticed, like, it's – one, it's made me feel like I'm more engaged with the people I'm talking to, not just passing them by. But the conversations have gotten better. That's just something I've been doing. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of good ways to make sure people are fun in your pre- or they enjoy your presence. Yep. So Don't I've, be a bummer. I've oh, got yeah. I've got one more good story, yeah. and this is actually an old story. And I heard it when I was much younger. I have no way to, to know whether it's true or not. But uh, George Washington, who was the first president of the United States, was walking somewhere with somebody else that was equally important. Could have been, you know, somebody from foreign nation. That doesn't matter. Both men were very important. (coughs) 
<coughs> excuse me, they come upon a man, a black man, a slave at the time, who was doing his job. George Washington tips his hat to this man, mm. and they go on about their business, and the man tips his hat back. Mm. No, I take that back. The man tipped his hat first, then George Washington tipped his hat. Mm. And they go on along their way, and the, the his guest says, why did you tip your hat to that man, that black man, that slave? And George Washington says, could I allow him to be a better man than me? Mm. Mm. So he gave, he returned the dignity mm. just by so good. just by mm-hmm. you know, tipping his hat. That's yeah. something that you know, but it's like shaking your hands. Yeah, so good. What a man! What a man! George Washington, what a good guy. The other thing is, don't be a bummer. So many guys are a bummer. Mm-hmm. I know hanging out with your wife and all of her girlfriends probably isn't the most fun, but you don't have to be a bummer. Have some fun. Laugh a little bit. Tell some jokes. Not about your wife. Not about your wife. Definitely not about your wife. But like, that's like one thing. Don't be a bummer. Just yeah. at least have some fun where a you little, are. A little self-deprecating humor goes a yeah. long way. Yeah. And what I've noticed, like, it seems most situations aren't ideal. There's always something a guy would rather be doing other than where he is. It just seems that way. But the best men I know just appreciate where they are. Mm-hmm. They're not wishing they were somewhere else. They're enjoying where they are, and it sends a message to people. Yeah. And it's women don't seem, as far as I can tell, maybe I'm wrong, so don't, it doesn't seem like women seem to have that problem. They, For the most part, they really do a great job of enjoying where they are and who yes. they're with. And we could probably learn something from them. Mm-hmm. Me especially. I, I, I'm sometimes a bummer when I'm, like, not where I want to be. But, okay, let's move along. Prudent in speech. I want to be a man who is prudent in speech. What does that mean? You give thought to your words. Prudent. You think about, right? Am I wrong? No, you're right. Yeah. You're right. You, you don't th- you don't vomit your words out or just say the first thing that comes to your mind. Yeah. You don't tweet out things that you don't just tweet things. <laughs> Good rule for life. Yes. Stay off the Twitter sphere. But this and this I was not I would not and you probably agree. I was not a person who was prudent in his speech. Young when I was a young person, correct. I would just it just it would come out. Yeah, I was like I was more of a shoot aim ready kind of guy. Yes, the words were already coming yes. out before I even thought you about would, them. You would you would leap before you'd look. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> but so one, the power of life and death is in the power of the tongue. The words like sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Yeah. Crap, bull crap. Actually, it's the one thing that will stick with you for longer than you want it to. So your words have the ability to kill or just kill, destroy, or to build up and bring life to people. So it's good to think about, okay, if I'm going to say something, what is going to be the effect of what I say? Don't just speak whatever comes to the first thing. Be gentle and kind. Have your words, <laughs> let your words always be gracious, seasoned with salt, as Paul yes. would say. This one's hard because you'll notice there's a like the more you talk, the more it is to say something that is hurtful, unwise, or something you wish you wouldn't. And so you're gonna be like, man, I just got to be quiet all the time. And uh, yes, actually, that's a really, really good idea. <laughs> Zip the tongue. <laughs> there's that proverb. We're gonna quote proverbs all the time. Even a fool seems wise when he doesn't talk. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> 
But there's there's a lot to being prudent in your speech. So what is the what is you go into Chick Fil A, you order, and what do they say? Oh man, my pleasure. My pleasure. My pleasure. Yeah. It doesn't matter what Chick Fil A you go into across the world. That is the message from from uh, mm. um, Mr. Chaffee. He instilled that into his boys and into the company, mm. and it is such a joy to go in there, place your order, pay your bill, and say and hear them say, "This is our pleasure to serve mm. you." So good. And their restaurants are always clean. They make you feel at home. Mm-hmm. That is how we are to treat people. Yeah, absolutely. One of so I'll go. The, I will go here. Whatever. But one of the things where you know the President Trump, whatever you thought of him, one thing he was was not prudent in speech. That is. And then, but <laughs> but there was this great case study because so his first speech, pre, presidential debate with Joe Biden is he was he was just Donald Trump the way he always was. He just, as soon as Joe said something, he was like talking back, didn't think about it, was just reacting. His second debate, though, whoever instructed him, whatever, said they also had the new rule in place. You can't talk or whatever. Mm-hmm. He followed that rule. And the debate was way better. Yes. For both people. It was significantly better because they had to take 10 seconds. That's a that's a prime example. Imagine any argument, any conversation, if you, if someone, if you just took ten seconds to think about what you were going to say before you just blurted out, whatever. And I, I, I do this all the time. There's a girl on our staff here at the church named Alana. She's got a great story. If you want to email her and ask her about it, where I just said the first thing that came to my mind, and it was hurtful and funny also at the same time. But I have not lived it down for three months, and. I don't, I don't want to share that story because it was embarrassing. But I – or for three years, excuse me, not three months, three years. Because it's so easy just to react. That's like – it's the easy thing to do. I want to be thoughtful in my speech. Okay. <clears throat> Let's go man of war for the next one. Man of war. Man of Man of war. war. Now, war. I'm not in the military. I have no intention of going in the military. If ever called upon to go – into some form of actual war warfare that would probably be pretty difficult for me. Um, but when I hear man at war, what I'm what I'm thinking, okay, so what what war is going on right now? So one, there's like the war for your wife's heart, uh, protecting your children. There's the natural things that just happen on without guns in the everyday world, politically, spiritually, emotionally. There's a lot of stuff. When I hear a man of war, I mean one who doesn't shirk his responsibility to stay in the fight. There is a, to me, feels almost a toxic level of disengagement in a lot of the community, especially in the Christian community, for the sake of what they would call rest. Like you have no, mm-hmm. I don't need to carry this, in, I don't need to carry this burden because it's all God's. I'm like, well, okay, some people are dying around the world because. What was that thing you told me about Shackleton? Sometimes we don't live like our lives or like people's lives depend on ours. Yeah. And that like stuck with me. There are battles that people are facing every day. Ones that you know about, some that you don't know about from the personal level to the macro level. It is irresponsible and not manly to disengage from those. Selfish. 
Correct. Yeah. Yes. Um, but also, and I think about even on a micro level, the the battles that we our own demons mm. that we are called to to fight mm-hmm. and to to bring them into submission. You yeah. know, G, uh, Paul said, "Take every thought captive." Mm. Whoa, that means, like we were talking about earlier, with prudent in speech. Um. Think how much calmer life would be if every one of us would just stop, like Keaton said, 10 seconds, think about what you're going to say. Is that going to build this person up? Hmm. Is it going to be make the relationship in your community better? <clears throat> if it doesn't, hmm. shut up. <laughs> yeah, not, not bad advice. So, yeah, yeah it's... You you know, be ready to 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 do battle when it's time to do battle. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the best war is the war you don't have to fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh, true too. You know, there's just no reason to invite it into your life. Mm-hmm. So, you remember? I think I told you guys this story of a um a king who had a beautiful daughter, and he needed a coach driver for his daughter. And he brought in these three men, and he asked them the same question. How close can you get with the wheels to the edge of the cliff with my daughter and the coach? Mm. And the first man says, Your Highness, I could get the coach to where the edge of the wheel is right on the edge of the cliff. Mm. And the second man says, oh, that's nothing, Your Highness. I can go to where the wheel is halfway off the, the cliff and still be safe. And the third man says, oh, Your Highness, I would stay as far away from the edge of the cliff as I could. Because he knew the da- I mean, there's always mm-hmm. a danger of, oh, that cliff just crumbled, and there yeah. you go. Yeah, yeah. Prudent in speech, mm. ready for war. Yeah. The uh, one thing, and you're really good at this, is being prepared. Jocko Willink, he, I mean, he's a Navy SEAL. He is, he's he's awesome. got to be prepared. He, he said good soldiers are always prepared. And that was the Boy Scout thing. Mm-hmm. Boy Scouts are always prepared. Mm-hmm. And he also said good soldiers are always prepared. They are not surprised by anything. Mm-hmm. Now, hyperbole, probably to a degree. Yeah. You know, some things you just don't. Right. But his, his point was you are prepared to the point that you're not surprised by much. So one of the things, if you're going to be a man of war, for your family specifically, you're not surprised by stuff going on in their life. Right. Like your kid comes home one day to tell you he got expelled. You're not surprised. Because, he one, he shouldn't have even gotten expelled because you've been paying attention to what's happening in his life. Um, he tells you his girlfriend's pregnant. Your daughter gets pregnant. You're not if you're surprised, it's because you probably haven't been paying attention. You you're not prepared. You haven't been spin come up with some sort of plan to make sure that you are battling for your children's life. Right. If your wife comes and t- tells you that she wants a divorce and it's like out of the blue for you, that's probably because you haven't been paying attention. Those those things show right. themselves. You're not prepared. So being a man of war is yeah. You're going to go to battle when the battle requires it. There, and there's a way to fight a battle. Uh, that will require wisdom in the moment. 
But before you even get there, you should probably be prepared, be attentive to people's lives, and maybe you can actually, by being prepared, you just avoid a battle altogether. Right. That was Theodore Roosevelt's thing with the with the Navy. Mm-hmm. It, I know I quote Theodore Roosevelt all the time, it's but his he's like, hey, if we have a large Navy, people just won't attack us. He's like, oh, well, that's obvious. Yeah. If you're prepared, yeah. you can well, avoid stuff altogether. What was Ronald Reagan's thinking on that? You remember Probably his, genius. Didn't he come up with Star Wars? But well, no, it was strength through – or peace through strength. Pain th- yeah. Peace yeah. through strength. Peace through strength. If Which, you're the yeah. biggest guy on the block – yeah, and you but you live peacefully. Yep, which was different than the Roman one, which was peace through victory, which means we'll slaughter you. Yeah, we're gonna slaughter you yeah, and, and take you over. Yeah, Reagan was more like said he. Oh, we'll mm-hmm. just carry a big stick. Yep. just leave us alone. Yep. Yeah, be prepared. That is, you know, know what you're fighting against. That kind of thing. Uh, man of valor. This goes hand in hand with being a man of war. It's being a man of great courage, speaking up when necessary, especially in times of trouble. Um, be valiant, be strong, be able, be a man of virtue. So I th- I'm seeing a lot of this right now. So in the news right now, as we're recording this, it's what, August 2021? Yes, August of 2021. Yes. yes. Not, the not, 20, not the 21st. Yes. yes, August of 2021. And right now there is a large movement of parents pushing against school boards for things they're teaching students, mm-hmm. everything from – the nonsense of transgenderism to to children, mm-hmm. six year olds, they right. they still like come on, they're not adults, to teaching that a certain race is inherently evil because of the color of their skin, which I thought we were way past that. These things are being taught in schools and their parents are outraged and they're speaking up now that it's necessary. Before they didn't really have to. But uh, there's also there's not that many speaking up. And there's not a lot of men. I'm seeing a lot, a lot of, of I'm men. seeing a lot of moms and a lot of moms. Of course, uh, when it comes to their children, mama bears. You know, the, nobody's nobody's stronger than a mama bear. But there is something to, in our day and age to being a man of valor. You're going to have to use your voice, mm-hmm. and you have to. You're going to have to know what is right and what is wrong, and you're going to have to be willing to say something at great cost to yourself. Yes. That's the kind of man I want to. Be. Like I don't. I don't. And I've I've thought about a lot of this. Now that doesn't mean get on Twitter and start tweeting because no, you're not helping. But a man of valor will go towards where the bullets are coming from, mm-hmm. whatever yeah. those bullets are. Yeah, you're not going. I mean, you're going to make sure everybody's safe. They're mm-hmm. behind you, and you're going to stand in the gap, as mm-hmm. I think it was Ezekiel said. Yeah, and you're going to be proactive. Mm-hmm. In taking on that battle, yeah. whatever that battle is, yeah. and it's going to be for the heart and soul of your children, yeah. or your family, or yeah. or somebody else's family, mm-hmm. who doesn't have the ability to fight back. Mm-hmm. You know, there may not be a man in in one of the kids' lives in your yeah. neighborhood, so you have to be willing to stand up and say, "I am going to protect mm-hmm. and to take on this this um, this hard thing." Mm-hmm. Because I care, because it's the right thing to do. Yeah, it's my duty. It's my duty yeah. to protect yeah. a man of valor. Yeah, I do think men have been given a natural warrior spirit. Mm-hmm. It's easy to shirk. Oh yeah. But you'll find you come alive when you get into some form of battle, and there's plenty. Uh, last, last one we'll talk about. 
skillful in playing. So that's how David was described. What I took that to mean is be excellent in your craft. Whatever you do, be excellent. What I love about excellence is it's, 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 it's a high aim. You can't actually achieve it, but you can get closer and closer. It takes a lot of work, takes a lot of practice, takes diligence, effort. Be excellent. Detailed. Detailed. Yeah. He was that thing used to say, do it right or do it twice. Yeah. Well, sometimes you can't do it right, and you do need to do it twice or three times because that's what it takes to be excellent. But you always – and also you always have to be willing to sign your name to what you do. Yeah. Oh, I forgot you used to say that, and Dylan told us about that the other night. Unless you're willing to sign your name to it, you're not done. Yep. <laughs> like – whether it's digging out dirt or, yeah. or whatever. Yeah. So if someone were to be like, all right, who did this? You'd have to be like, me. And it, it better be excellent. Yep. And that, I mean, excellence transcends like ju- not just work, but the work is going to be where it shows up the most. I'm going to guess you're like me, and there's not that many people checking up on you all the time. No. And so you, as our listeners, you have a responsibility to be excellent even when no one is watching. That's going to be difficult. It's going to be difficult, but it's what good men do. They're excellent. They chase excellence. They relentlessly pursue excellence. And sometimes mm. they stay away from the cliff. And they stay away from the cliff. Yeah, use, what we're really talking about here is wisdom. What it, There's not a better gift than wisdom. Get right. it at all costs. All right. So that's that's oh, going through my vision. That's what a vision, That's where I've, you know, these are the, the this is the type of man I want to be, and I am relentlessly pursuing becoming that type of man. And I'm not I'm not very good at it so far. Uh, prudent in speech, excellence. I've I've skipped a lot of stuff in my life. Um, usually because I'm a little too focused in one area, I'm not balanced. Prudent in speech. I say things all the time. I end up biting my tongue and having to apologize. I have not had to f- be a man of valor. Very much recently, this is a first attempt. This and then, you know, um, there have been other ways. I mean, with with there have been other ways our, and private stories, but right. this takes some time. Yes, that's why it's called the man I want to be. Mm-hmm. This is the man I want to be. Yes, when people look back and they remember, if thirty three years from now, when I'm sixty three, hopefully I'm a little bit closer to. There's this great quote by Dallas Willard, another favorite author. He was fifty five. And he said, I think now at 55, I'm kind of, I finally have figured out what it means to be a man and to follow Jesus. And I was like, at 55? Yeah. All right. Yep. Uh, having a vision, though, is the first step. Yes. So if you're going to create a vision, <clears throat> I got some tips. What were you going to say, though? Well, I'm also thinking, though, um, allow grace. Mm, so you good. know, live in grace with yourself and with yeah. those around you. Mm. But it's also it's not enough to to do this without it coming from the throne of God. Mm. You'd be very easy to the man I want to be now becomes an idol. Yeah. So we have to yeah. be careful with that as well right. in life. Um, yeah. Which is why you always you need to be submitted to something. Yes, and and I think that is or where someone. the community that mm. you have of other men in your life. Men who are older than you, who are, have lived a little bit longer, can speak into your life and say, mm-hmm. quit being, or maybe mm-hmm. this is better, or, yeah. you know, let's try it this way. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. We just we as men need that in our lives. Mm. Women do it very naturally. It is much harder for men because we are just wired differently. Yeah. And it is imp- imperative that we learn to submit ourselves to the sharpening of other men mm. and sharpen- allowing ourselves to be sharpened by other men. So good. So good. Now, as we wrap up, you had told me about a book about some Gen Z kids, some teenagers. They wrote a book. Yes. And I want to give them a shout out to our four listeners because this is amazing. My generation, the millennials, the worst generation in American history. I'm kidding. Kind of. We're not, we didn't exactly make a great marker, but Gen Z, it never ceases to amaze me. I believe in the next generation. And Pops, he had gotten this book. They're 17-year-old kids. Yes. They wrote a book already. And it's called one of my favorite things. Do hard things. Do hard things. Do I remember all the time I'd say things. that. Run fast and do hard things in high school. That was like my. And actually, we had a we had a guy named Josh Kingery. He's the campus pastor at this building. He came and spoke at our young adult ministry, mm-hmm. and he had this line during his sermon. He's like, "These are my hobbies. I do jujitsu. I run, and I forget what the, I bow hunt, because mm. in our family we do hard things." And I was like, "Hmm." So there's these teenagers who wrote this book called Do Hard Things. What's their names? You got to pull Oh, I'm trying to find it. I turned my phone off. Yeah, that's not a bad thing. Uh, Alex and Brett. Alex and Brett. It just moved his on him. Yeah. It, uh, Alex and Brett Harris. Alex and Brett Harris. Shout out to them. Shout out to them. So they wrote this book. Go pick it up. They, dad told me they, tell me what they had done. Uh, at 17, they both became interns for a Supreme Court judge in Alabama. Um, and they helped in, I guess in Alabama, they do, they, judges are, are, are voted in. So they helped with the campaign and they used all, pretty much all teenage help across the state of Alabama to help this judge get elected. Mm. I think that's the story. Anyway, get the book. It's five bucks on Kindle or 22 bucks at uh, Barnes & Noble. (laughs) Huge price difference. I'm a hardback guy. Guys, thanks for joining us. We will be back again talking about the rest of this vision statement, constitution, all sorts of stuff to help you become the man you want to become. In the meantime, be thinking about what kind of man do you want to be? What kind of character do you want to be in this world? And what do you want to give yourself to? Grace and peace to you.